Hey guys, this is Lindsay Schnorr. Welcome to my podcast, Known to be Known. I want to inspire you to wonder and question and think for yourself rather than tell you what to think as we go on a journey to get to know God. I'd like to suggest that God's desire was never to get you to heaven, but to get heaven through you, and that he actually gave us this answer to what eternal life looks like in John 17, 3, saying that eternal life is this, that we would know God as the one true God and Jesus Christ whom he sent. You see, he gave us an end game and a timeline, relationship forever. I believe that as we get to know him, he's made known through our lives and evangelism, you know, sharing the gospel, actually looks and sounds a lot like you and your life. You ready for an adventure? Let's go. It's always fun to address everybody in different time zones. How is everybody doing today? It is a good day. I'm saying that even to be reminded myself that when life throws you plot twists, <laughs> circumstances change, emotions are different, we can still choose to acknowledge that it is a good day. And it's a good day. Um, Man, what, what to talk about? I have had it brought to my attention. Um, again, I love everybody's feedback. Keep it coming, please. This is such a fun conversation. But that in my addressing of different flavors, denominations, whatnot of the church, should I clarify what I believe about the church organization so it doesn't sound like I'm hating on anybody's particular tradition they've grown up in? Yes, please. Let's, let's clarify that. I do not think that our identity is founded in traditions. So when I say that, and you can use past episodes to, to qualify this statement, I no longer use a heading or denomination of a church to identify with myself being a follower of Jesus. The way that I do things traditionally, um, whether that is sacramentally, um, or theologically, I don't actually throw down anchors of identity that say that I am a Christian because I do things this particular way. I don't acknowledge identity founded in religion. I acknowledge identity founded in Jesus. And I think it is important because it actually opens people's perspective to realizing that a dynamic, vast, amazing God that created so many unique um, displays of his love, that that we are each one of those, that in that uniqueness, in that diversity, I believe that it would only be natural that we would worship and find community in completely different um, types of groups, right? And sometimes, just like each one of our Thanksgiving meals look different or Christmas meals look different, traditions can look different. And yet, I don't choose to identify with my family based on tradition any more than I choose to identify with Jesus based on tradition. The way that I eat Christmas dinner is not the way that I define the McCarthy family, the Schnorr family, right? Hope you're picking up on that. But I wanted to make sure that people understand that I acknowledge that God says that we have to do things in community, but I think there's a healthy way to do that within the community, to do that within your um, within your particular church without over 
overreaching um, what it is that you are starting to find um, identity in. Okay, so that's one place that I want to even uh, pursue even further today in this notion of, of community and the local church and and what that looks like. Because can I can I bring up that comment again of that amazing Instagram post that I saw a few days ago? I'll probably botch the exact wording, but essentially your church isn't perfect because you're a member. And it's the same for me. It's the same for you. It's the same for anybody. There is so many people, myself included, that have experienced church hurt at some point. And when you find identity in the church instead of Jesus, you will walk away from religion instead of pursuing intentional connection with the exact people that hurt you. And let me say that again. If you put your identity and faith in your church or your denomination or your tradition or religion, those people, and it is not founded in Jesus, they will disappoint you. You will disappoint them. You are people in process. And we choose community. We choose the local church. Not because we're not going to mess up. Not because we're infallible. Not because it's a perfect group of people but because God chose community for us to work certain things out, to be encouraging and edifying and affirming to one another, that I believe that community and the local church was meant to support and cover us as we'd go out and make disciples. And that brings me to this notion of the small group, um, the small group idea of churches. There is biblical foundation to small groups. I'm going to suggest some things in this podcast that might really throw you for a loop, but also might totally open your perspective to what true small group um, expectation through the father's eyes really looks like and what that might look like for everybody else around you. And that it's not just confined to the organizations and programs that, that your local church has put together. And I can tell you, speaking from experience, I've been a part of the structure of small groups that has been provided by local churches. And I have found in my life that very often my small group is the community, the friends um, and couples that the Lord has has allowed me to give the most relational access to in my life. They're the people that I am doing life with. And here are some here's some questions that I want to propose to us. Um, and when I say us, I'm talking to believers right now. And I'm talking to any of you that are, are thinking about choosing to follow Jesus. Or maybe I'm talking to people that you've been a part of, of a certain way of doing things that maybe that certain way should look different. And the question that I was mulling around in my mind yesterday with the Lord was, in our in our motivation to form communities of people that are pursuing the lord are we attracting people or distracting people from jesus that question's a heavy question and can i tell you i think it's an important one because whether we're talking about small group communities um, whatever Bible study that you happen to be a part of, the the church body that you're a part of, 
God never intended for Christians to go hide themselves in a building and create clubs that were exclusive and not inclusive. There were no church buildings at the beginning of the church, and the beginning of the church takes place in Acts. So if you want some scripture to go back to, after Holy Spirit comes and rests on everyone at Pentecost, there becomes this explosion of community that then is recognized as the organized church. Like there, there is apostles then that go out and preach the gospel. They're seeding church plants in different communities. That's where you see the letters to different uh, portions of, of areas, uh, Philippi, Galatia, um, Ephesus, all these different letters of specifically where Paul and Timothy, Barnabas, Mark, people were traveling. You're seeing church plants, but the church plants didn't look like how we see church today. There were people going and telling the story of the risen Christ, the Jesus whom they had spent time with, and out of their testimony of who Jesus was performing in power and also explaining in word, they created disciples. And then they created these these packets of people that then they were released to go pursue God on their own while communing together. But the community, again, was to support and cover and edify and pursue as more people were brought into the community. I happen to be a part of of a church body that is, is seeing growth. And it is, um, it's actually fascinating because in our particular church body, um, it's a bunch of traditional backgrounds and people that are coming together really um, intentionally because of the town that we live in, this desire to, to pursue God together in our particular town because we live here. We, we all have something invested, whether it's our kids going to school, whether it's <laughs> paying taxes and living in this particular town, but that there is a unified desire to see the betterment of a community and not just the expansion of the gospel, which I do think is also biblical. That if God is into governmental structure because he considers his kingdom a kingdom with a king, and that he asks that his will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that there is multiple places in scripture that talk about the expansion of the kingdom here, then it would only seem to go in line with the will of God that there would be expansion, not because of numbers, but because of the multiplication of the Lord being seen naturally in disciples, making disciples, and then changing the culture around them. Like we talked about, Napoleon says that the object of war of victory and the object of victory is occupation. That is the exact same thing looking at the kingdom. We, we serve, and because of the difference of what it is to be a follower of Jesus, that, that kingdom assimilation is, is not unlike a victory, but I'm careful in using that verbiage because here's the reality. We're not going out and conquering, um, conquering in a way that is, um, that is forceful or, or what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, dang it. It's, 
I, I want to be careful with language because I've heard other preachers and ministers go here and then non-believers are like, oh, Christians are totally violent. They're just going to come in and overrun our town and take over everything and, and make everything Christian. Okay, so no. We actually don't war against flesh and blood. A, a Jesus follower wars against evil. In the displacement of evil, the natural byproduct is that good reigns. And when good reigns, the kingdom assimilates and occupies a territory. There is a displacement of forces. And where the king is not properly recognized, and I'm talking like in the natural world right now, where Jesus isn't recognized, there is a displacement that can take place when followers come in and have victory and occupation. Now that might seem kind of wonky, but you guys, that's what the church was meant to do. We come in and we serve and we occupy and you do as the Romans do, except it becomes a you do as the followers do and they would know us by our love. And the love would be attracting, not distracting, not causing people to run the other way. So here, here's the thought I'm introducing. How many of us are a part of, of groups that are either closed off, like that's, that's the five people and you've never seen growth. And when I say growth, I'm not saying that all these people get relational equity with you, okay? In my life, I can say that I've seen growth, but the growth doesn't mean that now I've got 50 people coming to have dinner at my house. The growth comes from when there is relational connection to be had because of the pursuit that I am doing in my life, that becomes available. Sometimes it's a coffee, sometimes it's a conversation, sometimes it's a text message. But if you're not actually seeing expansion in your pursuit of Jesus, I would suggest there might be room for you to adjust what you think community looks like and what community is on to. God is always into multiplication. Always. You show me one time, Old Testament, New Testament, where he's not always exceedingly abundantly more. Always. He's always offensive in how much further and how much more he has. So, where are we at, followers? Where are we at in our lives with the communities that we have, we've put together? Where, where are we at with the multiplication and the distribution of the kingdom in our own lives? Are you attracting people to Jesus or are you distracting them from him. What does distraction look like? If people know you to be a follower of Jesus, but in your demonstration of what that is, they're actually further away of wanting to become a follower of Jesus. This is offensive, but can I tell you, I've been there. If you're actually keeping people from knowing Jesus because you've made it so religious and hard to get to know him, we need to check ourselves. There was a stage in my life. I was in my uh, late teens, early 20s. 
that I would have told you, and I've said this a million times in, in these podcasts, I would have told you I loved God. I knew God. I knew everything about him. I followed his rules. I, I was pure. I was leading a, a really spotless, blameless life and not doing a lot of the things that, that I had basically disqualified everybody else around me from not being as good as a Christian. Mind you, I was living in complete depression and separation from the Lord because I, I was trying to do this all on my own. That's a little side note. But even though I was a disaster, I thought I was doing a lot better than everybody else. Do you know that I had close friends in that particular season of life that were going through horrible struggles and didn't come to their Jesus-following friend because she'd be the first one to persecute them? My friends did not come to me in their time of need because I was a believer. Thank God that God in his mercy and kindness came into my life and humbled my heart and actually gave that invitation to me to turn it around and say, Lindsay, are you attracting people to me? And I realized in, a, in about a 10-year time frame from that point, from about 18 to 28, that if I, if I wasn't an inviting source into the presence of Jesus, how could I possibly be a Christian? If I was condemning and shaming the world around me when Jesus himself said he didn't come to condemn the world but to set it free, if I was creating a whole bunch of rubric and expectation and red tape for the very people that that wanted to know Jesus and that I had basically made it completely impossible to get to know him through me, was I doing what he was asking me to do? And friends, let me tell you right now, there's a difference between conviction and shame. Shame tells you you're a bad person because you did this. Conviction says... I've made you to be so much better. Let's change this. Shame says, Lindsay, you're, you are a bad Christian because you did not do this correctly. And Jesus convicts and says, listen, there's so much more available right here. Just repent. And in case you are new to the definition of repent, repent does not mean to say sorry to apologize nine million times. Is that is that sometimes a natural response? Yes, but repenting, the definition of repenting is turning back to God's way. Conviction leads us to repentance so we get back on the right road. In our desire to pursue the Lord, to pursue him in community as he has called us to do, have we, at a very large scale, created groups and organizations and friendships that stall multiplication because of our own good desires and motives for relationship? I, I don't know that answer for everybody, but I know it's something that I look at in my life. Now, 
It's always a both and with God, right? So this doesn't mean, oh my gosh, ax all your small groups. (laughs) I'm saying in your healthy desire to pursue the Lord, pursue God, pursue the Lord, and determining to do that within organized structures, are you seeing the multiplication of the kingdom in your life And are you finding identity still in Jesus or in these particular places where you've said now, okay, I'm a member of a church. I'm a member of a small group. I'm a member of the Thursday Bible school. I've got this. I'm going to get to know God. Are you perhaps being led by the Lord that your church has an incredible organizational structure, but you have a neighborhood of people that have relational equity to you that God's calling you to make that your small group. And maybe pursuing Jesus doesn't look like being on the same page, but it looks like being Jesus in your neighborhood. One way I got really convicted in this was um, in a season of life when I first moved to to the neighborhood I'm in about four years ago, um, I was pursuing community and what this looked like to be a part of this new town. And going through the quote unquote Christian steps of getting plugged into the community, when I realized where I was plugging myself into the community, I kept missing my neighborhood coffees. And how cool is it that I live in a neighborhood? The demographic is older, but because of that, there is an intentionality to create community and and neighborhood friendships by all the women getting together monthly at someone else's house to have coffee and conversation. I kept missing them because I was intentionally saying yes to other things. It wasn't until like the third, fourth, fifth time that I realized that God was saying, hey, (laughs) you are asking me where I wanted you to be plugged in, but you were looking for the right way instead of the way that I was leading you. And in my life, The Lord was asking me to plug into my neighborhood. He was asking me to have friendship with the women around my community, my my neighbors. Do you know what's crazy? He was doing this. We moved in here July of 2019 only to know that the only people that I would have access to outside of my, my family would be my neighborhood in like eight short months. And that he was facilitating a way for me to have a relationship that these people, there would be a massive intentionality of relationship in the coming two, three years after the pandemic. And the illustration of this was, I would have missed out on all of this had I said yes to all the Christian organization good things to instead of what God was leading me into in community because my community didn't actually look like a bunch of believers going after the exact same thing. My community looked like the people I was living next door to that God wanted me to love, that God wanted me to love. He wanted me to love them. Love the people that didn't know him yet Love the people that had no interest in believing in a God. Love the people across the political spectrum. Love the people that didn't see things the way I did or even had the same theology that I did. Love the people that spoke in tongues and thought tongues was crazy. Love the people that believed in miracles that thought miracles was crazy. 
love the people that were vaccinated or not vaccinated. He wanted me to love people. How well do you love people? Friends, how many believers and Christians were taught it is more important to get someone saved than it is to love them? There's one Savior. One Savior. It's not on us to actually change people. Jesus is perfectly provisioned to do that on his own, but it is our responsibility to love people and attract them rather than distract them from Jesus. And how are we doing that in our lives? What does that look like in our communities? Are we relegating ourselves to only love the people within the walls of the church? Or are we teaching ourselves to love the people outside the church, not because it's important to get them saved, but because it's important to demonstrate the love of Christ? We are moving into an era, and I believe that we're already in it right now. That there's going to be such an influx of people that are hungry for God. But it is the people that are outside the church organizational format because the Lord never relegated the church to a building. He relegated it to a body of people that he designed in his image. The buildings became a place of meeting and fellowship. The buildings became a place for people to pursue an access point. But the buildings were never meant to house. The buildings were always meant to equip and send out, to occupy. And occupation looks like increase. A teacher that I love and have so much, so much respect for, Pastor Chris Vallotton. Go listen to him. And if you've heard his name and you have any thought one way or the other, go listen to him. He talks about um, revival onto Reformation onto Renaissance, which is incredible to me because it's it's basically Napoleon's verbiage, but with the biblical standpoint of this notion of victory and occupation and um, that it's not assimilation, but essentially like apostolizing the the world around you. It becomes like the culture that you bring into. The kingdom that you bring into a certain space then becomes like that kingdom. You're looking around the United States specifically right now, and whether you understand it or not, revival is happening. Revival is, I believe, a recognition of the need for God. It is a corporate recognition of, oh my goodness, we need you, God. We're seeing this in the amount of baptisms that are taking place on the West Coast, down in Texas, at the colleges, around uh, different areas. Asbury is one that I'm sure many of you guys have heard of. Currently, there is one going down near... Um, Jenny Allen is a leader of If Gathering, and I just know that it is in her neck of the woods in Texas because I've seen pictures of her baptizing hundreds of college students. 
I'm watching it happen in my in my community, that there are these sovereign moves of God where he's just showing up in situations where people don't even have a grid for what it feels like to feel God. And he's coming in and doing this and leaving people with the, what do we do with this? What do we do with the fact that God's really real? Revival, revival taking place right now means that reformation's next. And reformation means change, reforming. Reforming. Can I can I also input right now that reforming probably takes into account a corporate repentance. So where we can recognize we have gone off the rails in the United States, a country founded, founded on Jesus following principles. The the stories of the history of how this this beautiful land even came to be. Can I suggest to you to rabbit trail for a second? There are documented cases of George Washington not being able to be killed in battle because there was angelic forces around him that actually kept bullets from hitting him and that these are still in the Library of Congress, that there are multiple accounts of being met in dreams by angels and guided by the Lord on how to write the Constitution, write it in a way that that would be formatted to be prepared for things that would happen hundreds of years later. These, these things exist historically, and they've been um, hidden. There's been an attempt to erase them, to, to discredit. But the ultimate reality is whether you believe it or not, you want to discredit, you want to say what you want to say, the United States is a country and land of promise because of what God sovereignly decided to do with this nation and reform Reformation, part of that is getting back to being on the road to what God said over the United States. And Reformation, let me tell you right now, is not about the Christians changing the United States. It's about God bringing back alignment and promise and favor and goodness to what he originally dictated over this land. The land of the free. What did Jesus do? Christ set us free for freedom's sake. I know I'm going all over the place, but I'm telling you, when when you start looking at the, the places that you actually have influence and places that you can make a difference by making an intentional decision to do things, it is at the very nuclear level, whether, whether blah, 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 sorry, <laughs> getting excited again. It's at the nuclear level, whether that is your family, which we haven't even touched base on husbands, wives, and their kids. We haven't even gone there in marriage yet the nuclear family, how you respect and love one another and raise your family, the nuclear nuclear church groups, our communities, our Bible studies. What are we doing to attract people to Jesus, to equip people in Jesus and empower a renaissance period, because after Reformation, the next next thing that happens is this explosion of favor that you will see in technology, that you will see in administration, that you will see in business, that you will see in creativity and the arts and music. Renaissance periods come because there's an alignment with heaven. There, it's getting right back on the road of what God said was best. And all of a sudden, the attraction of favor 
and wisdom and goodness is just at an abundance and downpour. Which, mind you, is generally the reason we get right back into the cycle of things because we get so comfortable in abundance and favor. We start getting super pumped up and excited about ourselves and everything we're doing and we forget the source of everything. But I digress. Are we attracting people or distracting people from Jesus? Are we closed door buildings or open doors to presence? Are we so caught up in how we are correct theologically and how people need to get saved that nobody has any desire to come within 10 feet of us because they can smell the desire to be changed rather than the heart to be loved? I don't know. But it feels important to start the conversation. It feels important. What do you think? Thank you for listening today. I hope you have found places in your thinking or belief systems that have been encouraged, challenged, or my hope, quite frankly, introduced to completely new concepts. You want to stay connected? Visit me at my website at known to be known. That's the number two and a little b. You can go there to be a part of the blog or to submit to be a member so that when new podcasts and new blogs are released, you're the first to know about it. Can't wait to see you next time.